0: This is CliffCentral.com. Sanmona Nonke, welcome to the show. It is, frankly speaking, another hour of uh, hot potato issues in South Africa. Yo, I am excited. I am excited for this show. Not only because of the show itself, you know, uh, we're going to be fighting consultants, but also because Rory Sang Shavalala is back in studio. Rory Sang, what's up, brother? What's up, was it? Yeah, right. What's up, man?
1: Ah, just this and that, here and there.
0: Oh, Epitolia, what's happening there?
1: I didn't Pumula anything. Didn't pumula. I was, ah, there's no Pumula, I'm very tired. From what? Ah, we want to know where you were. Ah. All these
0: headlines about Guptas, KPMG, McKinsey, and you disappeared throughout all of them. So now we are wondering, where were you?
1: You know what I found very interesting about our show, our lovely show? is how you get captains of industry when I leave. <laughs> Yeah, Coleman knew, You know knew, the, the, the 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 managing Managing director of, yeah. Col- of Goldman Sachs Yeah you know And they won't come When I am here Because they're scared of you They're not
0: scared mm. of me they call me the lame duck of the no, two. No, really?
1: this is collusion. This is just. White, right, monopoly, white capital. monopoly capital. White monopoly capital colluding sure. with one another Listen, so that the tough questions aren't asked. I would
0: totally disagree with you, but I'm not going to disagree with you. It's and, 100% and, now, 100% true. and now we 100% have
1: true. we have a black consulting firm, and now I've been brought in to try and grow exactly, my own people. Exactly, it will not happen. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you
0: are. <laughs> 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 How, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: How you doing, Rory? I'm good, homie. How are you doing? Good, good, good,
0: man. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody. It's uh, another hour of this. We've. We've just seen some very interesting things happen. We spoke to Colin Coleman uh, about two weeks back around what should uh, what should big business do he gave some very interesting uh, discussion points i think he also he missed a few of the questions you know he ducked and dived like a brilliantly media trained person he's no, he's properly media trained no it's properly media trained it was uh, very interesting to be in his office in his uh, executive suite with his uh, cufflinks on and me uh, hitting him with some questions but he handled them very well um, we did miss you during that interview. And now we see McKinsey coming round full circle, which mm. is very interesting because we know a few McKinsey people, don't we? I mean, let's just put it on the cards. We do. We know a few. Oh, you do? No, okay. no, no. When I said we, I said,
1: you know, it's... You know, you know what fascinates me about this McKinsey thing? <laughs> to be honest, I've been very... <laughs>
0: what, what fascinates you? No,
1: I've been very intrigued by how you've been riled up by it. I mean, I've been following the story and so on, but... I mean, you are baying for blood, particularly when it comes to McKinsey and KPMG. What's going on inside of you?
0: All right. Here's the truth. You know, yeah. I once went for an interview at McKinsey and they bounced bouncing. Now, I'm joking. I, um, you know, and I think it's good. We need to put our, our spaces and our places, you know, mm, uh, where we sit on this table, mm. you know. I think that I find very little value in, in managing consulting firms. Just... The nature of them, the way in which they've been structured. Mm. I think they have drained the intellectual capacity of our young South Africans because it's very nice to be seen as part of the McKinsey, Bain, BCG group. Um, But um, do they add any value? Do they add any real value to the So you don't think consultants add value? I think they add value to the corporate Mm. um, but how much value uh, besides the profit line item I'm not so sure and that's what I worry about so I hate the whole system I hate the way it's very unhuman centric I hate the way it's very unempathetic towards people. That's where I stand. You will then correct me because, of course, you're a consultant and the man next to me here is a consultant. you see, Don't, look don't in the put eyes. me in a box. I'll put you in every box. <laughs> um, so we're going to be speaking about this whole thing and and I suppose taking it a bit further, zooming out a little bit in the South African context is, you know, how do we do good business in South Africa when mm. profit is really the underlying theme? Mm. How do we not get into these dodgy situations with dodgy people offering big amounts mm. i mean you know it's it 's all good for me to to scream the odds outside, but when i 'm in the ring and someone offers me one point one billion or eight hundred million like they offered to join us i mean well, or you're, I'm going offered, to take that.
1: or you're offered money by by, by, by uh, a, a big bank uh, that doesn't exactly follow the right, <laughs> the right exactly. ethical exactly, and and it funds exactly. it funds the work that you do. 100%. Do you
0: do you turn it back? The means the end. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does it I mean, justify? Absolutely yeah. agree. I mean, Absolutely are, agree. They're... Absolutely agree. Those are your views, not mine. Just in case <laughs> that ever comes back. All right. <laughs> so we're speaking about uh, all of this. Frankly speaking, do good people
1: come last? Good guys don't. say so what? Frankly speaking, to good guys come last in business. Why do you business. want
0: to be sexist like that? Why does it have to always? be It's not be men? sexist. Do you Why know does it the term is men? called good guys? Because it was a sexist society. Who that decided it came that from?
1: guys must refer to men? Yeah. Who decided that guys must refer to men? You see, you are your patriarchal mindset. So guys does not. It can refer to anyone. Refer to men. It can refer. Why why can't women claim that?
0: All right, www.urbandictionary.com guys. Okay, we, but, we,
1: why are we doing but this? But that Urban Dictionary was written by a man, and so he exactly. decided to claim that cool word as a male word. Thank We're you, Rory. reclaiming it as no. a woman's word. Who are we? You do are a male? good guys. Do frankly good speaking, <laughs> do good guys come last? And this is why, when you haven't seen
0: your radio partner for a while, you must at least extend the show by an hour, because our guest. Uh, Derek Thomas from Let's say, Consulting and Investment Firms hasn't said one word. I mean, that's a bit disrespectful. Well,
1: let's get the show on the road, but right. before we do that, uh, if anyone wants to jump in on the conversation, you're welcome to send in your comments on Twitter um, at Yebo underscore levy uh, or at Rory Shabalala. Uh, please send us your opinions and uh, if, if, if there's any any that we think could add to the conversation, by all means we can. you can either catch us on our Facebook page mm. um, where the conversation continues non-stop
0: um, the amount of notifications we get on that thing absolutely so and from the you know what's beautiful about that facebook page just as an aside hmm. the comments are from such a diverse range of listeners that's what i love about it absolutely. so thank you to everyone who listens yeah. and who partakes and yeah. participates in all of the conversations very yeah. nice
1: alternatively send us hate mail on twitter <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's that's you I, I never get hate mail <laughs>
1: Now, ever since we, we we stopped, ever since we've uh, we no longer do that many shows on racism, I think I think we're cool. And white privilege, no and one white sends privilege. Things, No hey? one, no one sends us the hate mail. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: Mr. Thomas, hello to you. How are you, sir?
2: Uh, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Can I start with a confession? I've never listened to your radio show.
0: Well, that's, I mean, now you've started oh, that, That's very, fantastic. you've started yeah. very badly because I've hated you already. And now, and now Sink you're really going to, and now you're like, a mortal already, combat.
1: You know. Finish him.
0: so we must be honest. We do know Derek from uh, uh, another way. I know him personally. Well you done. know him as well. Well done. So, um, but today we're going to be open and honest Derek, I'm laying it out there. You've heard how we've introduced it. You, you mm. see how Rory's already got me riled up about men and women and feminism, sexism and all sorts. And consulting. And consulting. So um, you at least know where I stand. I will try to be as biased as possible and um, make sure that i ask all the hard questions about it Well, I, I, i'm really
1: keen to get into the consulting thing cuz i really don't get where where you're coming from with okay. all of that but well, let's but do i that. mean let's 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 let's, let's start with, with a the story i think a lot of people just to give some context so there's this big story that's happening right now around escom um, and how uh, consulting consultants have basically creamed off tons of money off escom um, in corrupt in some corrupt ways um, mckinsey and Trillion are at, this, at the heart of this issue uh, and basically were paid over 1 billion rand for consulting services and were due to receive another 9.4 billion rand um, for their consulting services. Mm. Um, now, there's a big thing about the work that they did, was it worth a billion and Trillion, who were the BE partners to McKinsey in all of the setup, what did they do to to earn that to earn that much money And so We have we, we have this entire cloud Hanging over The consulting As an industry now mm. And just generally Looking at How this entire Situation has unfolded And you see That the involvement Of the likes of KPMG SAP And so on Is you know Do good guys finish last When it comes to business um, Is there a way uh, Of succeeding I mean if, if the likes of KPMG McKinsey SAP ooh, Big companies uh, are, are relying on What seems like shady dealings to get ahead. What hope is there for any of us that are trying to do things the right way? Of course, we've got uh, we've got Litzema Consulting represented here, and uh, where they fit into the story, Andrew, is that they uh, were McKinsey's BE partner on this deal initially, and then, as the story goes, they were shoved out of the way um, in order to accept a Gupta-backed trillion. Um, so M- uh, Lesema wasn't serving the purpose, wasn't going to serve the purpose for the Gupta mission, and so they, were, they had to be shoved aside. And we need to find out if that's true. Uh, they were shoved aside, a trillion was brought was brought in, and so the Guptas then were able to hive off a lot of money. Uh, R- Rory Sang,
2: thing. I want to um, correct you on one issue. Yes. We were McKinsey's so called BEE partner from about 2005 to about 2010. So, I just want to correct you on your phrase on this deal. Mm. We were never their partner on, quote, mm. oh, this you their deal, partner In general. In, in general. Across different projects and, and so on. And, and it was, for, to me, a value adding partnership. Yeah. They were good to us. Mm. We learned a lot of IP. We were exposed to a lot of great consulting assignments, mm. just to put the record so, straight. So,
1: just by the way, on Litzema, you are the CEO of Litzema. Uh, let's say my is, is a 20-year-old, the oldest black management consulting firm? I, I believe we're the oldest black management
2: consulting firm.
1: We were established
2: in 1996. Um, our founder is Isaac Shongwe, who, um, to the best of my knowledge, is the second black Rhodes Scholar ever to have been produced by South Africa. And for those of you who enjoy football, hmm. uh, scored the winning goal for Oxford against Cambridge. Hmm. So, um...
1: He's quick on his feet. You <laughs> <laughs> might need to be in the future as well. Right, so
0: let's talk here quickly. Why in heaven's name would McKinsey need a BEE partner?
2: Well, I think it became uh, a de facto business practice in South Africa in line with our national priorities, right? facing. Pardon?
0: Like the idea of facing with, with black people to, to show that they are transformed when actually they're not, and it's just an easy way to give a company like McKinsey, access to big deals. No, No, I'm just asking the
1: the big questions. Andrew Andrew is is exposing his cards a little bit too soon. No, I'm asking the questions. This is back in the 90s. We needed needed to build black businesses. And so it was, how do you do 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 skills transfer? You get the black businesses to partner with established businesses and to deliver on projects. And over time, gain the skills so that they can do it themselves.
2: Done sincerely. Mm -hmm. these partnerships between established and nascent, between black and white, between um, large and small, can be very productive Mm. for an economy. Uh, Totally can see that. Derek, you've you've given some of the credentials
0: of your partner, Isaac. You are an economist by trade. Mm -hmm. There's no shortage of intellectual property between the two of you and I'm sure the people that you have in your company. So I can see that... I'm just trying to understand, like... McKinsey's this big multinational corporation, and you know it's very easy to just talk the, the good game of the day, right? And the good game of the day was transformation. The good de- game of the day was to build black businesses. But truthfully, I mean, they needed you in order to get the, the government
2: deals, right? So those are the practices that got established in this country in line with national economic policy. Mckinsey, Litzema, countless other firms mm. were doing so in compliance with laudable goals. Mm. Okay, <laughs> no, so, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll park
0: that one there for a second. <laughs> it's, it's. A, you know what the the problem is? There's a good side, of course. B was set up for perfect good intentions right absolutely there's no way in my mind that i'll doubt that
2: b offers a number of advantages it's not without its cynical side but it offers a a, a number of advantages you could have cost reduction so Mm -hmm. a local south african firm with a lower cost base than these global majors how about the symbolic value of showing to up-and-coming black professionals that it can be done if it's done correctly there are a number of benefits so, so to let's, the process. let's
0: then ask the question a different way before we get back into the topic. Do you think that BE has been done correctly in South Africa? Because we're talking about business and we're asking you, of course, it is difficult for you to hold all these questions. But as a, as a leader in South Africa of one of the great
2: businesses, thank you. So BEE is a small acronym that means a whole lot of things in a whole lot of context. It covers procurement, affirmative action, supplier development, and the truth be told, it depends on who the beneficiaries are and their stated intentions or their, or their intentions more broadly and who's handing out the privileged position. All right,
0: so in this case now, let's, let's bring it back. Rory, we were speaking about this trillion deal, mm. 1.6 billion in consulting fees. Let's just talk about the number um, before we get onto anything else. That sounds ridiculous as a, as a, a consulting fee number for professional services. Are, are, am I just out to lunch because I don't know about this? Is, this? is this standard practice to be charging a billion rand for a project of this
2: nature? I've been in consulting for 23 years. I have not seen numbers like this. It's off the radar.
1: So what are they likely doing? To, I mean, if you put a billion rand on an invoice, what have you been doing <laughs> during that period? <laughs> That's a great if,
0: question. If you, seen,
1: if you haven't seen those numbers and you've, you've been exposed to consulting for 20 years, what could you possibly do to justify putting a billion rand on an invoice?
2: So ordinarily, what's a consulting uh, assignment? It's, it's the number of people, number of professionals, um, deployed over time, so day, hours, days, weeks, months, multiplied by a rate proportional to their seniority and the brand value of the firm they represent. Mm. So to arrive at a, a number like a billion rand, you would have to have an army of consultants, mm. in my opinion. Mm. However, as I understand this particular um, contract, it was based on a... Risk-based savings formula, mm. which is a variation, a, a conceptual variation on how consulting consultants normally charge.
1: Mm. So, just explain this risk-based variation.
2: Sure. So, 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 as I understand, what was being contemplated here was, um, uh, uh, dear client, we'll save you uh, X billion rand. Consequently, we'll be entitled to. A proportion
1: of that. Mm. So is that so wrong? So basically, what you're doing is you're putting your fees at risk, and you're saying if we don't produce those savings, um, we don't get paid. But if we get paid, there's an upside. So should South Africans be looking at this number and saying, uh, you know, it's ridiculous, or simply say, well, they did put their fees at risk. Where where is the issue then? Because there seems to be a huge issue about the amount. Where is the particular issue with the amount? Well, I mean, the conceptual model is is a legitimate one.
2: Mm. L- let's start there. So if you can demonstrate either a savings-based delta mm. or a revenue-based delta, mm. um, a professional service p- services provider, a consulting firm, should be able to contemplate such a conceptual model. Mm. I don't know the details of this particular engagement. I think it was savings-based. And I don't know, I haven't seen any argument, uh, either for or to the contrary, suggesting that the number was out of sync. Mm.
0: So if you've just joined us, uh, we're speaking uh, today, frankly speaking, do good people or good guys, as uh, Rory wants to claim it, uh, come last in the business sense in South Africa, speaking to uh, the CEO of uh, Letsema Holdings, uh, Derek Thomas, And Derek, I'm just interested. You spoke about how, or we clarified how you were McKinsey's BE partner and then you got kicked to the curb. Is that, is that right? Were you kicked to the curb or was it thanks for coming, but no thanks? And then got replaced by Trillion or just help me out with a little bit of the.
2: Well, back in, in, in about 2010, um, um, we, we slowly but surely, uh, stopped Um, tendering for work together and going to market together. It was later explained to me that we had, um, quote, graduated, unquote, from their supplier development program. Um, I can't speak to the veracity of that claim. I can just say that at the time it was painful for a firm that had in many ways, uh, been consumed by the embrace of McKinsey. And as I previously stated, it was a great space to be commercially. Uh, and then you feel the cold winds of um, a commercial world without a large partner. So you've used the phrase kick to the curb in many ways uh, and Irony is the strongest force in the universe. I'm grateful for that because it's meant that we've had to grow up as a firm. Mm.
1: So, just you—you uh, you, you speak of graduating from. What does that mean? You—you you, what you had you had, you—you no longer fitted with the profile of what a supplier is. What does that look like? Well, as
2: I—I think the 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 phrase was a reference to. Uh, 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 if you like, a process of maturation and then an event, mm. which is to say, hey, let's say, we incubated you mm. over a period of, let's say, five years, mm. and now you are post-incubation,
1: you've graduated, mm. you've passed matric. Um, you've but, got your degree. But it certainly sounds like Matric was imposed on you. <laughs> from, from what, from the story, it wasn't a thing that on this date we agree that you guys are graduating or at this point. It, it seems as if one day they knocked on your door and they said, hey, we didn't realize this, but you guys have graduated. Cheers.
2: Well, I'll leave it to you, Rory, <laughs> to make up your own mind on that one.
1: Well, but the stories are, are suggesting that, you know, it, it almost, this was unexpected uh, in a way. This replacement by Trillion was. Was kind of unexpected. Is that are we are we understanding the story correctly? That's correct. Right. So, so just just before yeah. we move
0: on there, like you, this must be a really interesting space for you to be in. Um, you, you're seeing the headlines. You've worked mm-hmm. intimately, as you talked about, the warm embrace of McKinsey. Mm-hmm. Is it a surprise to you, seeing knowing the characters within the McKinsey walls, knowing those senior partners? understanding their personalities, their archetypes. Is this a surprise to you that this came out?
2: McKinsey are very good at what they do. Make no mistake about that. As are the peer group of quality tier one consulting firms, global consulting firms. Um, they are, and I hope they don't mind me saying so, uh, commercially aggressive, commercially astute, hungry for business, and they are... Um, Um, mature in how they go after business as a general rule. And here I'm talking about globally. Mm.
0: Answer the question further, Derek. Are you surprised by the people, you know, given that you know the people intimately, are you surprised that a deal like this came about? Or do you think that this was always on the cards and because you were in the intimate embrace, sometimes you have to look, you know, you don't see it clearly. And again, this is no fault of yours. We're not implicating you in anything. I'm just saying because you're in that warm embrace, it's hard to see. But actually, the character flaws of the individuals, the culture of the company, which you say commercially aggressive, then make sense for this to happen.
2: Look, it happened. So you're always looking with a lens of of trying to understand with, within the context of a post fact world, um, um, so it's hard for me to to put place myself in a twenty ten environment and ask that and answer that question honestly. Mm-hmm. Perhaps I would put it this way: um, in in a world where you have very clever people with aggressive commercial targets, something like this could happen and did happen.
1: Uh, so you speak about uh, McKinsey being very you know, professionally astute and so on. Um, there you are. You've had five years of McKinsey incubation, uh, as you put it, uh, and then you get replaced by a trillion uh, sort of a startup, by the sounds of things. Um, I mean, they, one imagines that if you were the number one black consulting firm, there was a number two. So the number two, number three, number four were 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 ignored and overlooked for a startup called Trillion. Um, how does that factor in? I mean, a person who's looking at this and making sense of it is that rational? Just looking at it, I mean, as an outsider. Or, or is there something dodgy? Because, again, we're reading the story and we're like, okay, so is there something wrong with, with the fact that trillion were brought in? Don't credentials – you said credentials were an important thing. Um, sure. So,
2: so, They had none. So to partner with a um, sophisticated tier one global consulting firm, you need to have a level of sophistication, built-in investment skills, balance sheet, Financial resources, strategic intent, alignment of goals. So my response to your question is: You would expect, indeed, if you in, and and no one's entitled to be in partnership with McKinsey, mm. right? I'm, mm. That's not the argument I'm making. But you would be surprised that if you're not going to be occupying that position anymore, as was the case with Letema, that indeed number two or three or four on the list would would assume that position. What I'm beginning to appreciate in the fullness of time is that I guess market access is much more important than any of the other criteria. Mm. What do you mean by that? Well, the ability to close the deal.
1: I think that that leads us actually into uh, in this entire conversation of do, do good guys and yes, guys finish last mm. um, <laughs> in business. Um, <laughs>
0: We're going to find about the stall <laughs> sure. yeah.
1: In the sense that um, it seems that, I mean, particularly the state-owned enterprises, market access really is driven by political connection. So a guy that's just trying to do his work as best as possible, even that is not good enough. It certainly wasn't good enough, it seems, for a Litzema. So is there a way of navigating? I mean, one imagines that... Um, you know, Myself as someone with a bit of insight into that world, that um, most black consulting firms rely primarily on government and state-owned entities mm-hmm. uh, for most of their business. And then one imagines that if you don't have access to that business, it's then very difficult to make it. So is there any other way than to sign a deal with a devil like Trillian, who've got market access, if you're going to then succeed? Look, the, stu- the state has a duty of care.
2: What are they presiding over? They are presiding over the nation's fiscal resources. And whether that's in ESCOM, any other SOC or SOE or government department, that means their duty of care, in my opinion, is to match their spending with the nation's priorities. So, for example, local uh, value addition, black firms, small firms... All of these need to be given expression to with the value of that money. So that means those powerful positions need to be occupied by officers who care, who can demonstrate competency in execution of that mandate. Mm. Value for money and alignment with the nation's priorities. Mm. It's a simple equation. And then you layer that with a who guards the guardians mm. who looks at their work and there you have positions like the chief procurement officer at national treasury, the department of public enterprises as the shareholder ministry and so forth and so on.
1: And so was there a failure in, in, in that particular role then? Because again, you speak about market access being the key thing. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how, how much of a balance sheet you have, market access. And market access is not a function, unfortunately, of how much, how long you've been in the, in, in the game for, it seems. So um, the idea that to the extent that the Guptas are market access to government contracts across the board, whether in consulting or anything else, is there a way of making it without then signing a deal with the Gupta? I mean, even KPMG did it, which is also quite weird.
2: I think what, what we're seeing is a distorting gravitational force. It's so large, it's so distorting that it disrupts the rules of a fair game. Everyone should be entitled to pitch for a piece of work if it's properly advertised and provided you have the credentials that are appropriate to the task being requested mm. and that it is done in an open and transparent and value for money based uh, uh, fashion. Mm. What I think we're seeing with this uh, pro- tr- protracted episode in our nation's history is a gravitational pull away from a fair uh, set of rules, G- and indeed yeah. a developmental set of rules.
1: Given that, how did you guys do it? So, so you were kicked to, you were basically uh, kicked to the curb, um, to use that phrase, um, and. You still had to try and survive and to compete, and you 're still around, yes. and you're still you 're still kicking ass and so on how did you How did you do it and and, and th- what does that say about I mean there are many others who are listening who are saying, so what does this mean for for us? Is there a way i mean there are some of us who will not do business with government mm. uh, because it 's just too risky, not worth it, and so on. Um, that means you 're cutting a huge part of your market, particularly this black business, out. And now you have to play within private sector. And, I mean, there's another injustice in South Africa is that you can't get work in private sector because you don't have market access either. So, so is there hope for anyone that wants to play the game fair um, to succeed? Um, or do the good guys finish last?
2: Look, you're raising a number of important points. The first thing is I think if there's a distort, distortion of the rules of the game, in the way that we're seeing, what's going to happen is businesses are going to move away from serving the state as part of their strategy. So the second round effect of that is that the state will suffer adverse selection. The weaker players will pitch up to serve the state, and the state will suffer as a consequence of that weaker advice, inputs, or the lack thereof. So that we, we don't have, say, domestic value addition to serve the state in manufacturing, or whatever case may, the case may be. Excuse me. How did we survive this? Well, s- struggling a little bit every day. Mm. We were, we were um, I guess we had been in business for a long time. We had built up some financial resources that could buffet us. We also had the skills. Um, to pivot to other customers. And in my person and that of Isaac, I think we had shareholders who were patient enough to say, we are of strategic intent to build a beautiful black consulting firm and that this period would be a temporary hiccup. So we suspended dividends, salary increases to myself, bonuses to me and the senior execs, to to survive this period, but I can tell you it's tough. Mm.
0: Derek, let's 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 talk a little bit about the state owned enterprises that you're speaking about. What what value do consultants add? I mean, surely you know we've got. SCOM, we've got, we saw SAA, you know, SAA has literally hired consultancy firm after consultancy firm to try and get them out of this backlog of debt and, and mismanagement. What value are they adding? I mean, at the moment, let's just talk SAA. SAA, in numbers, could have bought Emirates. How incredibly
1: crazy is that? What, it? from consulting, Emirates from airlines, the money that it paid? No, in cons- no from uh-huh. the,
0: the bailout money oh, yes. that South Africa has bailed them out on. Mm. They could have bought Emirates Airline. Mm. I mean, let's do that. Mm. <laughs>
1: like, let's do that instead of What, and complicate out. our issues and have to be- deal with a bigger <laughs> fleet when At we can't manage Emirates, one we Maybe have?
0: there'll be something that comes along with it, <laughs> you know. But what value do consultants add?
2: Consultants are not a panacea for the world's ills. They're just not. What they are is a service provider that, if you use carefully, could be value-adding, whether that's in revenue generation or cost savings or ent- or deciding whether you're going to enter new markets or not, making up for temporary staff shortages, introducing new intellectual capital, new ways of doing things. There are myriad of ways that you can deploy Consultants, as is the case with any other professional services provider. Here's the point though. And this is at the heart of the point, uh, of the, of the challenge. A consulting firm and a consulting assignment, in my view, is only as good as the client procuring the service. So that you need this dynamic between good consultant and good client. If either of them is out of sync, you won't have a good outcome, Derek.
1: Let me, me just—I uh, mean, there's a whole consulting is getting a beat down at the moment, and and I, mm. and and uh, in in the latest Financial Mail, there's a whole thing around Standard Bank's use of McKinsey and consulting as well. And the big question that's being asked there is, but these companies should have—I mean, the guys running these companies should be experts in what they do. Why in the world are you bringing in external parties? to advise you on strategy when, actually, aren't you hired to develop strategy anyway? How does that, just adding to Andrew's point, um, is it not a duplication? Is this not a failure? When a person, cons- when a person engages a consultant, are they conceding to the fact that they don't know their stuff?
2: Well, when you go and see an ophthalmologist, are you conceding to the fact that you don't know your own eyes? Well, yes. only if I don't have an ophthalmologist in-house, right, doing the job. Like,
0: this is the thing, right? You've spoken a little bit about what consultants can do. And I look, I think this is a very difficult conversation to have because you've been in this business for so long. So if someone came to me and said, what va- ad- ad- added value does an NGO create, right? Like Rory did in our show in 2016. <laughs> oh, is this what is, this is about? So, <laughs> so and, and it's very hard for me to say. No, 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 we actually, you're right, Rory, we don't add any value, right? But here's my interesting thing. I think consultants do add value, but what value are they adding? Like, what is their definition of value? And you've put it in this terms, revenue generation, cost saving, going into new markets or not, right? As as a, a bucket list of some of the things. Some, some of, of the things. things. 100% right. And I'll concede to that. Of course, there's, there's more, you. right? Yeah. But those all seem like profit generation or cost-saving activities. When, specifically when you talk about state-owned enterprises, right, and SOCs who are supposed to be serving the country in some way or form, right, how do we add value to the humans in the system? How do manager consultants add value to the humans in the systems that they create? Let
2: me, let me give you an example from early on in my career. Cool. The client was Metro Rail. Today, I think we call them PRASA, um, running a, a service which takes uh, township um, dwellers to and from work mm-hmm. designed to serve an apartheid logic, right? Uh, separate uh, spatial areas. Now, that the quality of that train service matters. For example, uh, in particular, the, 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 the train schedule. When do you put on a train and when don't you? in a world where resources aren't infinite. And I didn't do this, but a colleague of mine did. And I watched how he designed a train service schedule that was more in line with the needs of the commuting public. Mm. That's a huge value add. That means somebody's getting to and from work and to and from their family safely, And on time. And more efficiently. And more efficiently. Now, uh, this particular uh, professional had international experience at the time. He had done it globally. And so he was introducing new ways of planning those schedules. And for me, it was a source of great pride to see Mm. an international consultant who I was working closely with do these new train schedules to overcome an apartheid spatial legacy. Isn't there one, and I
0: love that example because I think it's a beautiful one, Derek. My, my one question is, don't we get confused in a way? I mean, that example is amazing because I could imagine a state-owned management consulting firm that actually isn't, um, isn't uh, what's the word, judged by profit that they make or, or uh, incentivized by profit that they make but incentivized about human value and making South Africans' lives better, Right. But isn't the problem and the cracks that consulting firms at the end are basically for-profit enterprises I that can tell need you, to make money on this? I can
1: tell you of a state-owned electricity provider… That is that is doing amazing (laughs) in its in its in its in its objectives of supplying electricity. They're not profit driven, aren't they? Aren't they doing amazingly, Andrew? And I could tell you of a state-owned. I could tell you of a state-owned logistics company that is supposed to be making sure that our 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 logistics costs are. Uh, make our, our products and the movement of our products cost-effective. Aren't they doing but, an amazing but, job? But here's my thing. Oh, yes. and I get I can tell I you know. getting between right, the right, right, two right, right. of you. It's <laughs> such fun.
2: But <laughs> slow down now. Are we saying that uh, all evil resides in the profit motive?
0: I'm saying that, unfortunately, because the profit motive exists, that there will always be ways in which you need to not only solve human problems like the process example you gave right now, But embed yourself to make sure that you continuously exist and survive and thrive.
1: I, uh, if I can become a guest and answer these questions, <laughs> no, why to are you a r- guest? I'm just confused by this thing, and this this is a perennial. Uh, just to bring uh, Derek into the conversation and our listeners on why we fight over this. Mm-hmm. Andrew believes he's not a capitalist, but he benefits Whoa, from capital. I never said that. He benefits I've from capital. That. So, so you might I don't understand. This, so, <laughs> so I don't understand this entire <laughs> argument of so, if your objective is profit. Therefore, your intentions must be evil. No.
0: No, I, that's not and, what I said.
2: And in fact... That's in not fact, what I
0: said, very carefully. In fact,
2: um, no less a scholar and thinker than Marx attributed to capitalism and to capitalists um, the moniker of most productive social class ever in the history of humanity. So, so that the profit motive which defines capitalism, at least in part, is a great source of innovation mm. and social good.
1: Maybe let's, maybe let's turn this on Andrew. Andrew, mm. can you just come clean on what your issue is? Uh, you, you, you you alluded to it at the beginning with consultants and so on, and they really get up. They're really irritated. <laughs> what exactly is your issue? So this profit thing and so on is your, is you trying to elegantly put your disdain. What is it exactly? I think that, well, we're
0: going a little bit off course here, to be honest and fair. But I think that the issue is around what drives people and how consultants that I've been in touch with uh, are driven. And I think what happens is because of the way in which they're driven, because of their margins, because of the way in which the work um, is concluded, i.e. I need to finish this work in a, in a number of hours, you know, blah, blah, blah. It creates a whole system of people that are unempathetic, that cannot get emotions in the way because of the work uh, culture slash work uh, imperatives that need to be created and, and actually delivered on. And then what happens is we just lose focus of what we're actually doing. So when we start a project, we might even start with, hey, what is the problem and how can we solve it and how can we help you? But it very, ter- it very quickly turns into how many number of professionals, number of time and seniority of people can we put into this business so that we can continue to thrive. And that's what it comes down to.
2: That's, that's not an indictment of the profit motive. Neither is it an indictment. Of consulting. It's an indictment of business practices that should be avoided within the consulting industry, within business in general. Aim for sustainability. Aim for moral business models. Aim to be contextually developmental, contextually relevant. Aim uh, for gentleness in your commercial model.
1: So, I mean... It still brings us back to that question that we've asked, and you haven't given us a straight answer, Derek. Do good guys finish last in business?
2: So, no.
1: Um, Give us an example of a good guy that hasn't finished last.
0: Donald
2: Trump,
1: eh? (laughs) Rather
2: than an example, I think what we're going to see as a consequence of some of these aberrant practices is more vigilance in um, uh, the way procurement happens, both by the private sector and the public sector, quite frankly, in South Africa. I think we're going to see greater vigilance in how empowerment partnerships are struck up. I think the so-called good guys will seek out other good guys. I believe that uh, uh, the credibility of brands will come to the fore again, and some of this distorting influence I made reference to will disappear because of what what we've seen and the disgust uh, that that South Africans have uh, laid at the door of these business practices.
1: But what, what what do you say then about this this ongoing need for black firms, service providers, etc., to rely on government and SOEs? Um, What is that saying about the state of inclusivity within the private sector um, and the fact that it, it seems, I mean, from most of the people that I speak to, the, the common thing, and it might be a myth and it may be something we should explore, um, in another show, is that, you know, breaking into private sector is very difficult. If you don't go and play golf, go to, sh- go to school, the kids don't go or to Or sure. school. Or shool, Or <laughs> across the board, right?
2: Well, isn't there um, a lesson for all of us in this? Mm. So, 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 if you're in a position of power and privilege that you reach out beyond uh, ascriptive similarities with yourself. Mm. That you break things like, uh, gender, uh, uh lines mm. of, of, of association. That you, so it's not some boys golfing club mm. that you, or hunting club or whatever boys do together. Um, that, that you don't have to belong to the shul to crack a nod, mm. uh, or the church. Or mm. the mosque, or mm. the temple, mm. that you can see in me or the other mm. an intellectual capability that transcends what I look like.
1: Mm. But how far are we? I mean, re- in reality, is that are we anywhere close no. to no. to to achieving that? We, and, we're and embarrassingly
2: at yeah. the foothills after after the promise. This is the interesting thing with our country. Mm. I think we move in periods of jolts. Mm. And long periods of stasis. Mm. And I think we're experiencing a jolt at the moment mm. to our national consciousness. We cannot call out this kind of yes. behavior yes. when at home mm. in our own organizations we behave. Uh, in an ascriptively prejudicial fashion.
1: I mean if you look at we, we so obviously at the heart of this of this particular saga is government and private sector but uh it could easily be private sector and private sector to the extent that uh we are saying that the whole problem with what we're seeing with trillion and so on is that the laws of of fairness have seemed to be have, um, to be broken in, in certain instances. People who deserve to be there have been removed for people who don't. But, and you spoke earlier about getting the weaker people to, to get the jobs. And so it actually ends up being bad for society as a whole because you don't have your strongest horses, uh, running for you. But private sector does the same in the sense that it only draws from a narrow pool of white and doesn't look beyond that where you might actually have better skills in the black space is that uh, you know what is it going to take and 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 what does a black business then do if if that avenue is closed and the government government business door is closed because of the likes of the Guptas i think we're seeing a rewriting
2: of the rules of the game uh, i i genuinely am seeing a an opening of doors uh, i think Folks are looking at themselves in the mirror and saying, "Well, uh, we can't call out these practices if we're not um, uh, 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 doing right by society, by black business Hmm. in general." Hmm. So I'm, I'm hopeful. I I think uh, established business is going to see in them in this an opportunity for more. Productive engagement practices with black business uh,
0: i 'm interested in in taking this to more of a personal perspective. You know I think when we read all these stories and you know Lord knows most of us are hut full of them right when you see The Sunday Times again with a Gupta, a Lynn Brown giving tenders to you know partners, friends, and blah blah blah. It almost be, You almost become desensitized to it, right? And it, these numbers are so big that you almost think, well, as the, the average layman or laywoman in South Africa, you're like, well, this is never going to happen to me. I'm never going to get involved in a deal like this. I'm, I'm squeaky clean. Let's bring it down into the personal space right now because I think the ethics needle has drastically shifted and moved you know you know the likes in the in the states of trump lying and then everyone going well if he's lying then it's okay for me to do my little white lies because they're not as bad as trump's lies right how do we bring this to the average south african and how to be moral in this or how to be good as we as we spoke about in in this kind of day and age of of everyone around us seeming to just be pillaging and and robbing and distorting the idea of what right is
1: let me maybe just jump in on that as well to say um, (coughs) that is probably the easier answer i think the more difficult answer is how we define morality and ethics Um, within a country where um, the past dictated that you broke the rules and you were doing what was right Mm. and now you're trying to change a mindset uh, for people to say no no uh, the system mustn't be broken now But we succeeded As a nation And our our most recent memory Of success as a nation Is by going against the rules mm. um, And so How do we come to a common definition, particularly in an environment where, again, I'm a black business, I'm trying to do things the right way, but that white business is thriving irrespective, Mm -hmm. Um, irrespective of the fact that we have better skills, that we've been working harder and so on. So basically, egalitarianism is is thrown out of is thrown is thrown out the window so why in the world you know should i continue to and eventually i begin to see my relationship with the guptas as nothing more than simply being competitive and so i throw out the idea of morals in a certain way and i begin to see it as well if they're doing it then i might as we well must do all it eat, right? and so the definition of morals is also changed so how do we even come to a common definition of morals and ethics
2: I think we're going to need a whole new social compact. Um, you know, as I said, Le Tzema is not entitled... Noise any individual business to any, uh, um, custom by any customer. You, you, you design your, your, your competency and you go to market and you win or lose. What I think we, the bigger problems that we have in this country, which is that we're just not getting to the problems of poverty and inequality. And quite frankly, I think, and all thinking South Africans recognize this, that all resources all our intellect, our common purpose should be designed around how we solve those far more fundamental challenges and we all slot in behind that goal. Now what that I think means is that we're all going to have to make sacrifices for future generations, that we treat our privilege with the respect it deserves and the obligation and sense of duty that it deserves and that we all play by a fair set of rules with respect for the other, but what's the guiding
0: principle, Derek? I mean, <clears throat> like, you know, we've we, we've uh, I've had a few conversations or been in a few conversations with people from the likes of KPMG, SAP, and McKinsey, right? And they're going, "Well, what must I do? I'm not the head. I'm not the managers. I'm just an employee, and I want to see this the storm through
2: because I'm now being loyal to my company. What must now can to happen? Even, everyone has voice, right? from the lowest in the land to the highest, that in these organizations call out bad practices, call out practices that are at odds with the national uh, set of models that we would all like to see everyone behaving towards. Regardless of the aberrant nature of this particular set of behaviors, we've got far bigger problems. If we don't all start rowing in the same direction and have respect for the limited fiscal resources at our disposal and start thinking about how we consume in South Africa and what we consume and how we share and don't share, we're going to land ourselves in in a huge uh, mess, and we will have given up on the promise of 94.
1: In all fairness, though, Derek, um, this what you've just said, could come from the mouth of any of the private sector CEOs. It could come from government. Uh, Jacob Zuma. Jacob Zuma. <laughs> Jacob Zuma <laughs> tends to say the same things. Malusi Gigaba would say the same thing, and they all say it without a sense of irony. So it seems everyone knows the script. But uh, to, you, to, to refer to biblical, uh, we know what the word, but it's difficult for the word to become flesh. And it's, So what is it actually going to take practically for the word to become flesh in this instance? We're going to have to su- subjugate, subject
2: our, 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 our sense of um, what we all need to consume and what we're entitled to in favor of the other. So let, let's just think about some of the, the the practical applications of this so it doesn't sound all wishy-washy. Mm-hmm. Well, for one, if you're a business owner black or white, what are you investing in skills development? How are you spending your profits? Are you reinvesting it in things that are socially productive, in a new piece of lab equipment, in a new piece of equi- uh, of machinery or a third or fourth house? somewhere, um, In wherever, or externalizing the capital, right? There are simple decisions that we can all make to enhance the quality of life of all South Africans and ensure genuinely a better life for all of us.
1: Mm. It's, uh, so, it then it, it raises the question of, I mean, bringing it back to uh, Litzema, we're we're seeing a lot of now whistleblowers come out. I mean, mm-hmm. the the recent one is probably like Trillion. Was it was was she the CEO of Trillion that has now come out and is now being seen as a hero because she's now blowing the whistle and is coming clean. Um, one can say Litzema was quiet all this time, and oh, now we're hearing it speak out. Again, you know, when you say you should speak out, when should you speak out? How should you speak out? I mean, these things happened. So many years ago, we're only really hearing the stories now when there were so many people. The very same people who are blowing the whistle now could have blown the whistle back then. So, practically speaking, what is it that kept them quiet then? And what is it uh, that, you know, that it would possibly then keep somebody quiet now that would prevent them from speaking out? Look,
2: there's clearly a role for speaking out Mm -hmm. and for people to be brave. And I'm amazed at ordinary South Africans who are choosing. Uh, An a heroic path and congratulations to them and our collective thanks to them. But speaking out is one part of a much broader set of um, activities that I'm making reference to. Mm. I'm saying you need a whole philosophy on what it means to be a privileged South African.
1: Mm.
0: You know, if if I may be the white dude in the room for one second and ask, is that not a, a historical statement? You know, because I think one of the things that for me is a, a concern, right, is that could it not be seen as black people's role, not role, but black people's comment to that will be like, dude, we've come from apartheid. We've just made it. We just made it. And now you're telling me, now, because I'm a little bit privileged, because I'm a little bit middle class, you know, I've just made it into those echelons that I've always seen as typically white. Now you're saying that now we need to change the rules so that we can give back. Like, for who? For what? I've just made it here. I've been against the system the whole time. Life has been against me, my family, for hundreds of years, right? And I, And I really say this with respect as being a white male in this room, right? Surely this is part of the problem, right? It's because... Why must we give up anything if we are black and we've just made it into middle class? Or can we even afford to give up anything because we have black tax and, and, and? You know, Again, asking the questions, not trying to sound preachy about it. If we
2: all don't get onto the bus together, statistically speaking, no matter how much you take from white South Africans, you don't have an equation that balances out. So we all... You know, we're all going to have to think about this thing intergenerationally. And by this thing, I mean how we create a modern industrial state out of the ashes of apartheid, which was the worst possible form of organizing a society.
1: Um, to those architects, if I could speak through time, it was just stupid. Stupid. It's uh, you know and you know you know what um, what I'm busy going through at the moment Andrew um mm. is this idea of distraction and how um it's so easy in the South African context to be distracted mm. um and there's a long story behind that that I'll share uh, next time where it's like you know South Africans easily get distracted right um you have one altercation between a black and white person and the entire country's focus is removed mm. from the bigger project of building our country and we are now focused on these two people and now it, 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 it obviously gets us moving, going again and now we hate white people, we hate black people and I'm guilty of getting distracted and having been distracted for so, for so often and I think what the challenge is, I think even as a black person that I'm beginning to deal with is uh, how often I get distracted from the bigger vision of building a country because I'm trying to make sure that white people pay. Mm. And it's almost as if I'm going to have to set aside uh, some of the unfairness of what needs to happen in order for the greater good to be achieved, i.e. Um, I might have to tone down on my uh, the way I engage with white people in order for them to walk the journey with me um, towards the greater good, which is mm. to make sure that the future generations don't have to go through what we went through. That is, that painful, is, that is so difficult. That's what Mandela did, right? He, I hear he was you. Like, I mean, I spent 27 years. I did this. I did this. You, all of you guys should be basically paying with blood. Mm. I'm going to put all of that aside, not because not because I am unjust to feel that way, but because my focus is on something much bigger than. But you can
0: imagine I mean. young, angry, angry, uh, uh, young, angry black generation, Rory, going, "We, our parents, our grandparents gave you an olive branch, white people. Um, you now took that white that olive branch, and you literally." threw it down in the mud and said, you know, we're just going to carry on as per usual. So you were talking about out of the ashes of apartheid. I think a lot of people are saying, well, actually, are we out of the ashes of apartheid? You know, like apartheid still exists in a lot of constructs in this country. So I agree with you, Rory. Like, I'm the kind of person that's like, we need to build this together as South Africans, not just as black or white. But the truth is, can we really get there? Are we surprised by these business deals and this corruption when a lot of us are going... Maybe we just need to burn a whole bunch of stuff, you know?
2: So, so, so I'm pragmatic about this stuff. I, I believe that there's an opportunity for redemption at every turn. That um, if if you were a sinner yesterday, there's an opportunity to be uh, less sinful today. Um, that if you were a renter capitalist yesterday, well, take your gains and convert it into productive investment today. If you didn't train your workers yesterday, train them today. If you were thinking of cheating on your taxes, don't do it. Optimize by all accounts, but think how you can spend that money in pursuit of innovation and a greater productive economy in South
1: Africa tomorrow. And on that note, Andrew, what are you going to do tomorrow that you're not doing today? Nah, me, I'm fighting still. <laughs> <laughs> me, I'm still a, a, a,
0: a socialist Rory, like you. T- <laughs> I'm not, have I ever said that? Have I ever said that I'm a socialist?
2: <laughs> Please don't burn anything, Andrew. It's really not your style. Listen, you're <laughs> yeah.
0: absolutely right, Derek. It has been an absolute pleasure, and thank you for your time um, joining us on the show. I think we covered a number of topics. I, I don't even know if we carried our topic through, but I think it was a rich conversation nonetheless. And I, I appreciate your time, and I appreciate what you're trying to do, and I wish you all the best, and I hope that we are human-centric, even as a consulting firm, and get more human-centric as we go. Rory?
1: Him hey, and his buzzwords, human-centric. Okay.
0: Uh, Rory, the topic was, frankly speaking, do good people do good um, last? come last? <laughs> How do yes. you feel about that, Rory?
1: I don't know. I think uh, it's, it's, we need to continue the conversation some more, uh, but I think good guys do finish last if they don't box smart.
0: And on that note, I'd like to quote Marx as beautifully as our friend Derek Litzheimer from Letsema did. The rich will do anything for the poor but get off their backs. Thank you so much is for listening. Is that even Mark's? Are you just, just, just saying lovely, it just because? Day. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's Mark's! So you do it right at the end That's of the marks. show so we can't, we can't actually interrupt. I, exactly. I have no opportunity exactly. to come back.
0: That's exactly. what happens when it's called broadcaster privilege. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you missed any of it, cliffcentral.com forward slash frankly speaking. We'll see you again next week. Ciao ciao.
1: This is cliffcentral.com.